This is the Shape America podcast, hosted by Colin Brooks and Matt Pomeroy, making 50 million strong by 2029. Welcome to the Shape America podcast. I'm Matt Pomeroy. And I'm Colin Brooks. Welcome to the Shape America podcast. It's good to be back for another episode, huh, Matt? Sure is. And, you know, we're talking in March right now, and, you know, it's an exciting time of the year. It's a really, really busy time of the year, but, uh, you know, we're happy to be bringing you another episode of the Shape America podcast. And, you know, this one will be out, you know, about one week before we go to Shape Nashville. So uh, looking forward to this conversation and sure, I'm looking forward to Shape Nashville, huh, Colin? Yeah, Shape Nashville is is going to be an awesome experience, always is a great experience. Uh, and it's just really just a couple weeks out, really looking forward to, you know, checking a few things out, looking forward to the Emerging Leaders workshop that we're working on. And there's so much other stuff going on. So, yeah, can't wait to get there and do some podcasting and, and see a lot of colleagues and check in of everyone and get re-energized for the, the end of this year here. Got that right. Re-energized, just excited about everything. And yeah, the podcasting will be great. And wow, the lineup is just unbelievable. So, uh Definitely excited for it, and uh, as I said, uh, just looking forward to a great show tonight. Uh, you know, we're talking nutrition education, and we're talking a little bit on the health side and a little bit on the PE side, and you know, just uh, getting into some pretty good depth here on, on nutrition education. So um, I think it's going to be great for both health and physical education. Kind of thinking both sides of things, right? Definitely. And, you know, it's, it is a great conversation to have. Nutrition is obviously a, a vital piece to what we do as uh, health and physical education professionals. So we have an awesome panel here ready to take us through this conversation and, and help us uh, develop our skills. And yeah, we're looking forward to it. So uh, with that being said, why don't we just take a moment here and, and let our uh, panel guests introduce themselves. Uh, let's start with, with Carol. Could you give us a, an introduction for yourself? Hi, my name is Carol Cummings, and I am an associate professor at Rhode Island College in the health and phys ed department. I teach in both the um, community health program and also the teacher prep program in health and physical education. And I also have been a middle school health educator where I have taught nutrition education and have also trained teachers. All right, Shelly, it's your turn. All right. Well, hello. My name is Shelly Ellis. I am right now a high school health teacher at Everett High School. I've been teaching for 22 years. Um, most of the time has actually been at middle school, both PE and health. And I was the 2015 uh, National Middle School Teacher of the Year. It's cool. We are sure are happy to have you, you, you both on tonight. And it's good to have Colin here with us, too. I know he's been a busy man. So, And it's neat. I'm kind of like... You know, looking through everybody in this Google Hangout, and we've got East Coast to West Coast. We've got every time zone covered. So it's, you know, it's always, it's always <laughs> such a neat experience, you know, just being all able to come together and talk about, you know, one similar topic and, you know, things that are going on across our country, across our nation and across the world. So um, it's kind of cool seeing the East Coast, Midwest. We've got mountain time and Pacific. So uh, thank you. But thank you both, uh, Carol and Shelly, for joining us. And yeah. Yeah, so let's get this show going. So um, I guess first off, pretty tough question. Why is nutrition education important for health and physical educators to teach? Well, this is Shelly. Um, I am a big believer that it's the cornerstone of our health. And I think, you know, making sure that our kids and students across the board understand, you know, the importance of it and starting them young and hopefully, you know, building upon that throughout their K-12 experience. 
And I would also add to that that um, certainly um, children and youth, with regard to children and youth, nutrition is something that impacts their lives from the day that they're born until the day that we leave this earth. So giving them opportunity to develop the skills so that not only can they advocate for themselves, um, but also to advocate for others so that they can continue to see the role that nutrition plays in optimal health and then the role that they can play in terms of taking care of their health, you know, continue to support their nutrition. Yes, you know, thanks for the, it's just a good intro question to just kind of start this topic and, and discussing it. I mean, I think everyone out there can agree that nutrition is so important and vital. So uh, it's going to be an, an awesome conversation to have. So getting started to get a little bit more deep here is as we go on, what are the most important or relevant topics that are happening right now, uh, you know, in K-12 uh, health and physical education regarding nutrition? So this is Carol. Um, so when I looked at this question and I kind of uh, put down a couple of ideas that I thought would be uh, would, would be really important, and I think one of the important thing that uh, um, students need to learn is the relationship between nutrition and good health. But I think the learning opportunities have to be what I call engaging opportunities, provide that opportunity for critical thinking, but also um, what I refer to as pleasant social interactions. Um, in the past, nutrition education has been a lot about do this, not that, um, rather than giving them the opportunity to understand and to really think about you know, the value of the changes that they can make in their lives. So I think certainly healthy eating patterns, um, using um, food guidance systems like the my the my plate, looking at factors that influence their decision making, but then also kind of giving them opportunities for that authentic learning is an important, I think, an important topic in terms of nutrition education. We can cover the span of all of the prevention of the diseases, you know, optimal health, but I think the important thing is giving them those skills so that they can continue yeah. to take yeah. care of their health in terms of their eating behaviors. And I would agree with Carol on that. I think it's really important, especially with the students I teach from middle school to high school, giving them the skills and abilities to be able to understand and differentiate what is healthy, what is maybe not so healthy, um, and how that's going to fit in their family scenarios and educating their families as right. well. Yeah, I agree. Um, the One of the school districts that I taught in, uh, many of the students came from you know, environments where they didn't have access to fresh fruits and vegetables, they didn't have access yeah. to, you know, they were they were consuming a lot of processed foods and they were going to McDonald's to get the dollar meals. And yep. so yep. the idea was how do you how do you give them opportunities for those skills so that they can eat as healthy as they can within the within regard to the with with regard to the means that they have, but then also how they can advocate for their families. So um, I think there's a lot of strategies that I know I have tried, I'm sure you have too, Shelley, that um, have allowed you to um, have your, your students connect with their families so that now that nutrition education goes beyond the school and now impacts the community. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's so cool to hear, you know, we're talking some of the most important relevant topics and, and things like that. And it comes down to critical thinking, sometimes social interactions and, you know, factors that influence. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, health has that powerful, uh, you know, mindset. And, you know, sometimes we know what's right and we know what's wrong, but it's like you say, it's the critical thinking that goes right. into it. It's those interactions and it's thinking about why you're making the choices that you're making. So uh, really, really interesting thought process, you know, kind of coming into that. So uh, love it. Um, so continuing to move on here. So kind of looking at K-12 nutrition, like that scope and sequence, that curriculum map and, um, you know, how are we going to start basic in those younger years and how do we get, you know, into that real depth as, as they get into that high school and, um, possibly not having any more health education, you know, after year 12, um, yeah. after that senior year. So, um, in an ideal world, you know, what can we do? Because we know that every situation is not ideal and let's just look at it as best we can. Um, you know, those, those skills and those thoughts that go into that scope and se sequence. 
This is Shelley. One of the things that I um, have been able to experience in different school districts that I've taught in, um, for example, in the Seattle Public Schools, they have worked really hard at scaffolding a K-12 curriculum for nutrition. Um, so I know, you know, if you're able to be in a district that has that opportunity, I think is fantastic. Sometimes, you know, they there are districts that do and the districts that don't. And you have to kind of piecemeal um, hoping that they've had the foundations in the elementary moving forward to middle and high. So when, for example, when I get my students in high school, I hope and assume sometimes that they've had that foundation of, oh, we know how to differentiate between a fruit and a vegetable even. Um, and unfortunately, sometimes that doesn't happen. So like I said, there's different, you know, depending upon what district you're in, depending upon your K-12 programs, um, and then again, meeting those needs of students that are in and out or transient throughout the district, I think it's important to you know, know where they're going, know where they've been, and what are you going to do moving forward in the future. But I think, again, starting them in pre-K even and working towards that goal of, for me, a lot of our students don't have health after ninth grade. So hitting them when they're 13 and 14, like you said, Matt, they may, you know, if you're fortunate enough to have those students in 12th grade, that's fantastic. But for us, majority of them, we don't see them again after 14 years old. So are we giving them the best, you know, nutrition education we can at a, as a 14 year old? Right. And I, I agree with you completely, Shelley. And I can add to that. I know in the state of Rhode Island, we have um, comprehensive health instructional outcomes. And all of those outcomes are based on the national health education standards. And within that document, there are scope and sequence for nutrition education from grades K through 12. Nice. Um, that being said, there's a nice scope and sequence, and certainly there's a lot of lower level um, development, you know, building that foundation with the difference between fruits and vegetables, <laughs> you know, the MyPlate system, how to do some basic level yeah. analyzing influence and influences and decision making. Um, however, not every health and physical educator who is teaching um, nutrition education in Rhode Island feels competent. Um, or um, how the different school districts and schools develop their actual curriculums. Sometimes nutrition gets focused on a lot, and sometimes it gets skimmed over. And what ends up happening is there's some redundancy, and then students get a lot of the my plate. You know, they get a lot of, um, you know, how to make decisions in terms of a decision-making model. And I always stress the importance of really building in what I call self-efficacy, even at a younger age. Mm. So if a fourth grader comes home from school and there's a bag of Doritos and there's apples sitting on the counter, how confident mm. do they feel that they can have their Doritos and half an apple, which is a lot better than, you know, maybe after, you know, prior to nutrition education, they might just eat the whole bag of Doritos. And so that idea is that Scope and sequence is really important, but we have to be careful that in the younger age we're not doing so much just that basic knowledge and that we're not building that right. skill development right. and that confidence that, you know what, when I'm shopping with my mom or my grandmother or my guardian, I can say, you know, let's skip that sugary cereal I learned in class. Let's try something yeah. a little bit different. Yeah. And I agree with you because not everyone gets health education or nutrition from in, in high school, and it varies in our state from school to school. You know, um, this is Shelley again. Thinking back of my the state here in Washington, we have an amazing group that through OSPI that goes and that has done our outcomes and has created this amazing scope and sequence. But like you said, Carol, unfortunately, some of our students just aren't privy to having classes that are being able to be, you know, having that information being taught to them. So. Well, in the same sense, kind of going with that, like how do you how do you sit down with your district and how do you find out exactly what's being taught in the elementary schools and, and middle schools and high schools too? Uh, I do know right. at one point in time within our district, and it probably needs to happen again, and I think it needs to be, again, me advocating for that. But, um, you know, how do we sit down? Because another question that's coming up later is like how, how do classroom teachers help? And I know that in our elementary grades, like classroom teachers do incorporate – um, some nutrition into their math and some, you know, into in uh, science and things like that. Um, so it, I think it is key to have that district-wide meeting or those transition meetings between middle school and high school, which we used to have and don't have anymore. So uh, any thoughts on that? 
Um, yeah, this is something that I am very passionate about, and I know in our teacher prep program, I'm really trying to, along with my colleagues, look at other ways to really develop those leadership skills in our entry-level HPE teachers, and that how can you fight for that professional development, how can you fight for those district meetings so that the curriculum that's developed is implemented the way that it should be. And I think for, again, in a lot of our schools, it's not that that type of voice. That voice is not always there, or it's not heard. Um, and so the idea is that there might be a lot of health and visit teachers who are fighting for this, but they're not really being heard by whomever is you know coordinating their programs or principals or other administrators. And so I think that's a skill set that all of our you know, some veteran teachers and then all, all our entry-level educators really need so that they can, you know, it's just kind of interesting how we keep talking about the role that health plays in academic learning, but then we tend to forego it when it comes to things like nutrition education. And sometimes if we look at what goes on internationally, you know, we can do so much better with, the, with these wonderful experts that we have in schools who can, who can take on, you know, this task for us. Yeah, you know, I would agree with you, Carol. Oh, go ahead, Shelley. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, I would agree with you, Carol. I actually also um, get to teach a class classes at Seattle Pacific University in the summers. Yeah, for pre-service teachers, and the classes actually this summer are all about teaching nutrition in the K-12 classrooms. Um, so, and get like you said, engaging those pre-service teachers to be the are, are fighters to get in there. But I also think I'm big on making those connections with food services, having those com conversations. And I also have my students, you know, are, how are we going to advocate for our own nutrition right. when we've got to have a voice in, in those programs as well? So I was just going to say too, we you know when we're, we're talking advocacy with, uh, with health and physical education teachers and the importance of advocacy to our programs. Nutrition should just be added on to those conversations that we have with <clears throat> classroom teachers, administrators, school boards, and everything else. And it's just another piece of it. And yeah, reaching out to nutritional services and getting them a part of that, uh, of that presentation or those talks would be uh, a definitely a, a bonus. And yeah, just another piece that, of, of advocacy that we need uh, for, for our to support physical education teachers and health teachers out there that are that are trying to implement all these things. And I love the role of their students, as you had stated, Shelley, being yeah. our advocates, you know, working with them, because you're also teaching and modeling that skill for them. Um, Absolutely. Absolute. Yeah, which is really valuable. Well, I mean, and, and then when there's that, where there's that chance, you know, where they can actually make some change and when they see that and, you know, when they see something that they're doing, like, right there in the school and and happening and it's it's a really cool experience when that yeah i mean <laughs> talk about the light really clicking right absolutely i mean for example right now my students um, at the freshman level are making psas that we're going down to our local elementary schools and teaching second and third graders the importance of nutrition and what nutrients do to our bodies and so forth and sometimes you know that like like you said, the light may go on when, it, especially from a peer to a peer, instead of a teacher to a student. Um, again, being the advocates for you know for their own generation. Right, right. Yeah, yeah that, that's interesting, and I'm just going to play off of this. Um, so, one of the things that I do with my college students, because I teach nutrition, is that we um, work with two groups of fifth graders. One is from a lab school on campus, and one is from a school district that definitely has a lot of challenges. Um, and the, both the fifth grade teachers um, are very passionate about um, teaching nutrition in their classrooms. And so my college students will actually evaluate the food diaries of the fifth graders. And then in addition to that, the two elementary teachers are teaching nutrition education and then all of us together become part of a blogging group. And so yeah, we blog about yeah. everything from body image to challenges to eating healthy to cultural differences. And then in addition to that, the fifth graders will create a healthy eating goal. And then they actually have to interview their parents. And so one of the yeah. things that I have mm -hmm. them ask the parents is what their, wish, what their parents' wishes for them or guardian or any adult in their lives who, you know, is... Um, 
um, accessible to them in terms of healthy eating. And it's really kind of interesting to definitely see the information. And then all of the children come together on campus and we have a healthy meal together. So it's a way of reaching out. And then at the same time, it's a way for when we all come together, the... Um, the students, the fifth graders and the college students talk about how to advocate in their own schools and how to advocate in their communities. So it's very oh. similar to what you're doing. And so I really like that. Fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. That's cool stuff. No, I, it gets me excited. I, like I said, you know, I send a monthly newsletter home and I always have my nutrition corner and I have recipes that the kids have brought in that they have to find. They get extra credit if they want to be published in the newsletter that for healthy eating. Um, but I've had numerous parents come back and say, you know, this was great. We have table conversation about what's healthy eating and what's important to our, our family or our culture, so on and so forth. And it's been, it's been really, really, um, life-changing to be honest i don't know if that um for my kids and having these conversations it opens the door for other hopefully courageous conversations later on um it's been a nice you know a nice added I, that i haven't done before so this was my first year doing this so it's been it's been very beneficial yeah that's well, great nutrition has Go changed ahead. a lot i feel like over the years too i mean um you yeah. know just the reflection on what sugars are doing to our body, what refined grains yeah. are doing to our body, you know, and what, you know, the difference between that and whole grains. And, um, like a lot of that stuff has changed since I've been in school. And, um, you know, you do need to be educating more than just your students. I feel like. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And especially, like you said, um, not just our students. I mean, the majority of our students don't do the grocery shopping and they don't do, you know, we even talk about, Let's, you know, we, we map out grocery stores and how many of you shop the perimeter of the grocery stores or how many of you shop in the inside because majority of the stores are set up similar. Um, and we talk, you know, we actually do a field trip down to Safeway cool. um, with my high school kids and how do we how do we eat on minimum wage? Um, I'm in a very low economic area and the kids, you know, they're coming to school with their hot Cheetos and Takis and, and their energy drinks. And I mean, that's a whole nother conversation I understand, but it's, um, you know, it's been really impactful for kids just to come back and say, Oh, oh okay. We don't shop on the perimeter because look at the cost effectiveness and so, so on and so forth. I think it's something that, you know, if we're starting to educate them, we're not just educating them, we're educating their parents. Right. And I think it's also good to give them that opportunity um, to kind of look at, Rather than focusing on um, weight issues or all the negatives yeah, associated, yeah. so whether I mean, definitely we need to talk about eating disorders. We need to talk about how to access resources and all the signs and symptoms of all of the illnesses and disorders associated with um, poor eating patterns. But I think the better mm -hmm. focus is how are you feeling today, and how are you feeling based on what you have or have not consumed. And that's a better way um, for young people to learn how to eat healthy. So there's less of a less of um, a focus on I, how I look, but it's rather how do you feel, and yeah. do I feel energized? And I drank the energy drink before class. I feel energized, but mm -hmm. about 20 minutes after you know, I've tanked. And so right. we can talk right. about all of the, you know, all of the things that can occur now because you haven't provided your body with the, you know, sustainable energy. And I think that's a much better way. And then how do you find that sustainable energy on a fixed income, you know, yes. and regardless yes. of, you know, there, there are ways to do this, you know, uh -huh. Uh -huh. Absolutely. So this kind of leads us to the next question. We've, we've started to cover it. So I think it's a great segue <laughs> for it. Oh no, it's great. So, you know, K-12 education is so vast and different, you know, from city to city to <laughs> block to block. So, you know, you go in one area and you have you know, a lot of parent support, uh, you know, and then you go to another area. And, um, you may not have as much or, you know, you might have an area of a lot of low socioeconomic status. So I, I'm curious, how does – how does nutrition education change based upon the socioeconomic status? I know we started talking about this, but can we expand just a little bit more on it? Oh, well, for my, for me personally, I came from a school last year where money was not an object. Kids come from a very supportive family upbringing, majority of our students. Um, so definitely my energy drinks and my 
junk food and everything, it was actually kept to a minimal. I mean, I remember having a class where I asked, has anyone ever eaten McDonald's? And nobody in the class had ever been there. Hmm. Um, there was very few kids that had even eaten fast food to a school this year where most of my students don't know anything but fast food or but processed um, food. So definitely, I think the importance for me was how can we make healthy choices with what we have? And um, as I kind of said earlier, you know, Carol, that we were talking about you know, projects and so forth that we do with our students, um, we, you know, we do a big budget. Can, uh, you get a certain amount of money. You have to feed a certain family scenario. Um, you have to try and you know, follow my, my plate. Um, but you're grocery shopping in the, your local grocery store here. And the kids have found out so many things like, oh, I, I can actually eat healthy um, and making these choices. And again, um, they get like, I do give a lot of little extra credit assignments. That if they go grocery shopping with mom or dad or whomever the parent uh, guardian is in their household, you know, and they can video this or record, you know, whatever the case may be. And what's one or two changes that you've made you know, cause every, and I'm, I'm a big believer with my students, you know, everything is okay in moderation and we want to, I don't want to tell them not to eat this or not to eat that, but let's look at, you know, checks and balances. Um, so anyway, I think it definitely, you know, the socioeconomic success definitely plays a huge part, but I think the education piece, you know, whereas I have kids that, you know, last year, like I said, didn't eat junk food, but they still didn't eat balanced meals. You know, when they were at school, when they were at home, it was prepared for them. But at school, how do we teach them, to, you know, to continue on those patterns? Yeah, and I would I would add to that that um, I think it's really imperative that nutrition education, you know, in the 21st century, that we give students the opportunity to look at the challenges for all of us, regardless of socioeconomic yeah. status. And so those challenges can be, again, I'm in the cafeteria, and the first thing that I see and smell is pizza. So that's going to yeah. draw me in. Yeah. And then next to the pizza is the French fries. Now, the salad is about four items down. But before I get to the salad, my brain has already connected with the pizza and the French fries. And the chances of me taking the salad have now diminished. Um, I think as health and physical educators, we need to know our community. So we need to. So if you have um, a large, you know, if your community, your students, your parents um, in your schools, you know, are struggling financially, then you need to do as Shelley's doing in terms of giving them opportunities to look at how you can eat on a variety of different budgets. I also think, mm -hmm. and I know this might go, um, you know, for a lot of educators in general, regardless of the content area that you teach, you know, we only have so much time. And as you said, education is so fast paced, but you need to know how to access those community resources. So whether it's, you know, farmers markets, we have indoor farmers markets in a lot of our health centers. Why couldn't they be in a school district? Um, you know, why can't we have in uh, Central Falls, Rhode Island, we actually have a couple of schools where fresh fruits and vegetables are actually brought into the schools for snack time. So there are a lot of grocery stores, there are a lot of community agencies that I think would be willing to and might even donate um, items so now you can bring them into the into your community and give them an opportunity. I also think um, the back to school night, um, I would love to see health and physical educators, and I'm sure there are some that are doing it, um, having a table. What a great time. So when the parents come into the gymnasium, come into the health room, they're not just getting, okay, this is the syllabus, this is what we're doing. You know, maybe they can try new recipes, maybe, the, and the students could be part of that. And so that's a great way um, to actually, you know, bring the community together. One of the things that I have done when I was teaching in the schools is that we had a lot of students who came from a variety of cultural backgrounds, is yes. giving them yes. that voice in the classroom so that they feel comfortable sharing what they eat at home, and then looking at the strengths, and then even maybe looking at, you know, recipe makeovers. So how can you, you know, we all have great meals that come from our cultural backgrounds, but some of them, some of the meals for all of our cultures probably could use a little makeover with a little less oil, a little less fat, and still get that great flavor. But we can also talk about the challenge for doing that. You know, a lot of times people don't want to share about their culture because they're concerned that someone might, you know, not process that information in a positive way. I think that's great, Carol. I think, you know, one of the projects just to 
I was in a school where we, there, I think it was 37 languages were spoken. Um, and it was middle school and we had a kind of multicultural dining night and it was put on by my eighth grade health classes and they all brought in every student brought in something if if even if it wasn't from their personal culture they had to find something that they were just interested in trying to cook and we got together and it was awesome it was it was a community outreach number one but it was a chance for other kids to go around it was kind of like the science fair on the health end um and then we did another kind of, like you said, makeover recipes. We did the take something that's maybe not as healthy and let's make something, you know, we had kids demonstrating like potato chips to kale chips. Um, and they had to videotape themselves because they were a one-on-one device school. They had to videotape themselves at home making these these makeover recipes and we brought it in and just had table after table set up and they kind of like Costco, you had your little sample cups and they got to go around and sample you know, a couple, and then they gave a peer uh, reflection, you know, to three different students, and that was part of their assignment. Um, again, just, and then we picked the recipes, we made, a re- we made a cookbook, and we sent those home. I sent them home digitally to all the parents, and, and you know, and it was very well received. And what's so amazing about that, Shelley, is that's authentic learning, and that's the difference between a classroom where the health educator is spending too much time um, teaching about the food groups, teaching about the MyPlate, um, rather than actually using the MyPlate. I think any time that um, you can give students opportunities for that authentic learning, um, whether they are teaching a younger audience, whether they are creating a video, whether they're creating a recipe and recording themselves, I absolutely love that. Um, and then reflecting on it, that's where they apply that functional knowledge that they learn. And so I think the HPE educators really need to look at our and that's where that goes into that scope and sequence. What do I really need to cover in terms of content? And then what's the engaging um, experience that I'm going to provide them in order for them to develop that, those skills and that self-efficacy? Because if I've made kale chips, I'm going to feel a little more confident about selecting them um, than if I hadn't even done that before. So, yeah, that's amazing that you do that. Right. Great. No, thank, no, thank you. I know. I'm <laughs> let's google hang out it in never been to rhode island so. <laughs> <laughs> well i like i'm really impressed with just the conversation and everything that i'm hearing and just kind of want to cover a few things because we're getting into pedagogy next so um so giving you a little time to think but uh but yeah no just talking about the resources in the community and bringing them in um and looking at what's out there uh, again we talked about back to school nights where students are sharing recipes budgeting makeup of the store uh again like recipe makeovers challenges real authentic learning i just you know i love all the things that go into nutrition education and um you know there are so many more things than like you just said the content um you know and it's it's students sharing their own content and their own learning experiences and their own, um, you know, thoughts and, and, and um, culture and everything else. Um, you know, so, so many different skills kind of come into that, which it's just so cool to hear. So I do want to dig a little deeper into like the, the pedagogy, but kind of behind it and like your thoughts on how you're going to be instructing this nutrition education. So some models, some methods that, you, that you're using and things like that. Um, okay, this is Carol. I will jump in. And do you mean in terms of if I were teaching pre-service students or as a, a health educator? Um, I guess a little bit more as a health educator. Okay, like okay. How are we reaching you know the K twelve students? Sure, sure. Um, so um, as a health educator, I would certainly stress the importance of again going back to what I said before, really knowing your community. So that means under understanding what your students have learned before. So that means definitely. Um, if you are a middle school educator, contacting those, you know, elementary schools and finding out from the um, health and physical educators there or the school nurses or the elementary teachers what actually gets covered. Um, most school districts I know in the state of Rhode Island have to report what they cover in terms of health education. So there may be a way to even get that information from state um, departments of education. I think it's then really important to look at those health literacy skills, so going back to those national health education standards, and then kind of identifying what are the most important ones. Um, So with nutrition education, you may decide that you want to focus more on decision-making or advocacy, 
um, or goal setting. I think goal setting is a natural complement to nutrition education because students can then set a healthy eating goal. And even if they come from communities or homes where maybe um, their meals are very, very basic and not very balanced, they can make a healthy, they can make that, that healthy eating goal can happen during school. So when I go to school lunch, when I'm at, you know, going to lunch or when I'm going to breakfast, rather than chewing, you know, choosing that Pop-Tart that's sitting there, you know, I can choose a piece of fr- fruit and maybe the egg sandwich because that's going to give me a much more balanced diet. So I think figuring out which skills that you want to focus on and then identifying I like to talk, look at content, content in terms of functional knowledge. What do they really need to know? Um, versus, yeah, if I had every day with them, you know, um, you know, I could go into as much depth as I wanted to. What's really important for this age group based on what was taught previously and where they're going? If they say they're middle school, they're moving to high school. And then I think also that authentic learning and in a social setting. I'm a real believer in social learning theory. Um, I think youth learn better through modeling and we can model, they can model for each other. Um, and so I think that's really important. So finding those engaging activities that are aligned with, you know, our objectives and our standards um, that will kind of bring everything together um, is just a great way to really design those, you know, design what I refer to as well-intentioned lessons. Um, I know a lot of times I myself have fallen victim to this. You find a great activity and say, oh, I love this. The kids are really going to learn from this. But then I didn't really align it as well with the assessment or the objective. So I think making sure that we're really... um, looking at those engaging activities that align with, you know, the, where we want to be, the end in mind, kind of. I would definitely agree with you, Carol. And I, I echo the exact same. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that's perfect. We're big, We're on, big backwards on backwards design, design exactly. you know, in, the, in, the in the Everett Public School. Public school. So, so I, I, I would, perfect answer. I couldn't say it any better. Oh. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I was thinking, was, I don't know how much I could add to that either. Yeah. <laughs> it was good. I think we, we covered it well. And I think it, it's, if we think about how this is set up, you know, like we've talked about pedagogy and now we're going to move into some activities that kind of follows backwards design, right? So, uh, which works out great. <laughs> nice work. <laughs> Who made these questions? Good work. So, uh, <laughs> so my questions are, I'm going to kind of combine these two questions we have here next. Uh, so what are some engaging ways to teach nutrition uh, and health education and then you know also what are some ways to engage uh you know with nutrition and and teach nutrition in a physical education classroom maybe we could give an example of both or more than that i what i've noticed is like your examples are great we just keep them going i mean if someone listens to this podcast and can't come away with a few ideas i just definitely listen again there's a lot of them so go ahead well i I can kind of jump in very quickly and I, i don't mean to um um, step, you know, jump in ahead of you, Shelley. But in terms of combining health and physical education, one of the things that I did um, that worked really, really well when I taught in the schools is I collaborated with the physical educators. So they just taught PE and I was the only health educator. And we actually taught a unit around, um, nutri- had a nutrition component. And one of the things that we had done is we created a word wall that was between the health room and the, the gymnasium. And And so when the students were in health, we would go out to the word wall and we would play certain kind of games in terms of application games. And in phys ed, they created a variety of movement activities kind of geared toward that word wall. So then the the information was um, always applied in the gymnasium with regard to the nutrition education. And then in addition to that, the students um, created a story. Um, They did this in the health class around a particular nutrition topic. And then in phys ed, they actually acted it out. Um, And so we kind of tied it to a variety of different sports activities. So we used a whole group of different types of sports equipment. And so between health and physical education, they really got to apply some of those skills. And I have to say, I thoroughly enjoyed working with the PE teachers. It was really a great way. It was much more fun because it was that constant collaboration rather than me just kind of isolated in my health room by myself. Got any other ideas, like just bringing it back into the health uh, classroom that that maybe you want to dive a little deeper into, Carol. I know you've 
kind of touched on a few things. Uh, um, sure. Um, I think definitely some of the things that Shelley talked about too is having students, um, whatever the nutrition topic that you're focusing on, whether it's say something as serious as eating disorders or something about how to create healthy recipes, giving them opportunity to teach a younger audience is a great way for them to apply the learning. And so as a health teacher, you can have them, certainly you can connect with the, um, the phys ed teacher, you know, maybe come into the gymnasium or you could also any of the other teachers that you have access to or even a community resource. I had my students one year create posters for the YMCA um, is another way. There are so many nutrition education apps that actually can be utilized in the classroom. Um, in addition to blogs work, you know, um, Google slide presentations, I mean, technology really allows us, you can even set it up where you can communicate with, um, a school, um, in terms of nutrition in France. And so I think all of those are engaging activities. Setting healthy eating goals is a great way for all students, um, regardless of the, of their age. Um, I also think that interviewing, whether it's interviewing a parent, again, a younger person or, a low, um, or an older person, because it allows students to, um, especially if you have them, have them develop the questions. Like if we were to talk to adults, what would you want to know about nutrition? What would you want to know about their challenges? Um, what do they eat? What don't they eat? What do they like? And then letting the students actually come up with the questions, um, I think is, is a really great idea. Students, I mean, as I'm sure you all know, have, um, so many creative ideas if we give them the opportunities in the classroom to actually brainstorm and come up to come up with a way to tackle an issue. I also like asking my students, what do you want to learn about? Kind of showing them, this is what the curriculum says we have to learn. How do you want to do this? And giving them that voice. And all of a sudden, that kind of allows their creativity kind of ooze out of them rather than saying, all right, here we go again. We're learning about my plate. Right. Uh, you know, just lots of good ideas. Thank you. Thanks for sharing. I know they're coming kind of, kind of real fast and I was jotting them down as fast as I could with my pen. No, no, it was perfect though. It's the best part about, you know, you know, audio like this too. It's like, Hey, it's know, amazing. Just, like Snapchat and Instagram. Um, I'm <laughs> trying now to show my students how to use that more. And there are ways that that needs to come into the classroom because what a great way to have high school students, middle school students demonstrate their understanding, you know, of, you know, um, challenges for healthy eating or how to advocate for others. I mean, um, Instagram has become, has become such a wonderful tool for advocacy. We can do the same with nutrition. Right. Right. I mean, and there are a lot of nutrition companies and nutritionalists, you know, that utilize that as well and, and, and have it out there. And, um, I love that Shelly um, allows her students to contribute to her newsletter. And I think, you know, most schools now have um, most content areas uh, at schools have their own site. So the health and physical educator can create their own website if they don't have one and then let the students populate it. You know, and again, another way for that applied learning. Right. Um, well, I think what we'll what we'll do is we'll just uh, keep moving on here. Um, because those were definitely lots of ideas and, you know, how to how to have that engagement. And, and I think even more than engagement, the, the cool things that I was hearing was empowerment too. Um, you know, give that give that power to your students and, you know, the power of choice, the power of voice. And, you know, the power to sometimes just do the things in the way that they want to because they do. They have so many great ideas and um, and it is outstanding to give them that control too. So... Uh, I think we become more satisfied as educators. We don't realize it, but we it becomes a better experience for us too. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, and I'm trying to think about the next question, and sometimes I feel like this is maybe where I go a little bit wrong too. It's like, uh, you know, I've got that backwards design, I've got the skills, I've got these lesson plans, and then 45 days of health goes by pretty quickly, it seems like. And it's amazing that 45 days of health can go by so quick, but... You know, just talking about reflection, though, and that, um, you know, when you're done, maybe you're not done, you know, when you're done, like, we've got to reflect on our learning and then move on. So um, just kind of 
posing that reflection question, you know, how can we get students to reflect on their learning and, um, and maybe to take it to the next level? Right. Um, I think giving them opportunities and making this part of um, your assessment, so it doesn't have to just be those traditional quizzes or exams, giving them opportunities to reflect on their growth. And then when students learn that that's part of the unit, so if we're starting a nutrition unit, I always suggest the importance, and I did this myself, here are the objectives of the unit. Here are my goals for you. Here are the goals. Here's what you should expect to know and do by the end of that unit. And part of that expectation is the ability to reflect on your growth, your growth in terms of learning new information, your growth in terms of maybe a shift in your attitudes or your values. Um, you know, maybe you started out thinking that, yeah, carbohydrates are important and you're going to shift to, oh, you know what, I need to make sure that complex carbohydrates are a part of my breakfast so that I can, I have the energy for my day and, that, and they become a much more important food item that I eat. So giving that opportunity to reflect. I also think giving students the opportunities, again, for those well-intended discussions. So giving them opportunity, whether it's with a partner, a small group, or a whole class discussion, a fishbowl discussion, and then afterward reflecting on their new learning. And I think sometimes we don't hold students accountable for that. And so I always let my students college students and when I taught younger audience, younger students, um, you need to, oh, I need, I'm going to also assess you on your new learning and then how you can use this new learning. And I always phrased it as, how can you use this new learning here at school? What are some of the experiences that you've seen or observed at school, at home, in the community? And that's also making that connection. Um, and in the discussion, how well did you participate or not participate? And even if you sat back, if you're somebody to sit back, what are some new thoughts or ideas that you have based on participating? And so that encourages um, those um, them to reflect and constantly think about how that you know, that unit, that nutrition education is pertinent to their lives. And, you know, I think it does, you know, we've been talking about, <laughs> I think that's good. That's good. Uh, you know, we talk, we've been talking a lot about self-efficacy, which is great. And I think that, that obviously the reflection is, plays such an important part of that, you know, just having students have the opportunity to apply and value uh, what it is that they're learning within the classroom is, is really essential in what we want them to do. I mean, it, we as health and physical educators or as physical educators, I think I'm always like, you know, what do we want our students to do? You know, we want them to be physically active outside of our class. Well, we also need them. This other piece here that, that we're discussing today about nutrition and, and valuing it. So uh, I think it's great conversation. And um, moving on to just this, the next question that we have here, and it's, it's about technology. So what are, you know, the best ways to engage, you know, students with technology or to help us as, you know, professionals to help teach nutrition topics? So um, I think I kind of touched upon this earlier. Certainly, um, you know, Google Classroom gives teachers, if, you're, if your school is using it, so many opportunities to use um, technology. But I think we have to be careful that we don't, um, students aren't always just doing, a, say, a journal prompt. I think it, again, has to be that authentic learning. So let me just stay with um, Google Classroom right now or something as simple as, creating a shared document together. So you could, your students could use, create their own Google slide, a class Google slide presentation. And that could be full, filled with videos, audio, pictures that they took. Um, you could even use, you know, something like um, a photo display centered around how we can eat healthier at our school in our community. Um, and then that Google slide presentation can be, um, created by all of the students 
And then what a great thing to show at an open house. What a great thing to show a younger audience. And so now the students are developing those 21st century skills. So they're collaborating, they're communicating, they're creating something with technology. And then it could even be put on, um, certainly um, the school has a Facebook page or it can be put on, you know, um, on a website. In addition, things like using, you know, Flipgrid for games, um, apps, you know, there's, there's, I think there's um, Snapchat, Instagram, all of that are ways that teachers need to embrace how to use technology um, in their classroom. But again, we have to be careful that we're not spending, you know, it has to be, it has to be well-meaning technology and having students come up with ideas for using technology. You know, most of us, I think, um, who haven't grown up with as much technology as students are exposed to now, get a little fearful of something new. And sometimes we take on too much. So I think, you know, I know that in a lot of schools, most teachers have a professional growth goal that they have to develop and then implement. And what a great professional growth goal, a growth growth goal surrounding um, technology, you know, using that in your classroom and then being able to demonstrate um, student learning. And I, I definitely love the aspect of technology and, you know, I've used it quite a bit and, uh, you know, I love the idea of like class Google Slides and I've done it with um, like gold medal snacks and things like that where we kind of build our own class or hourly, you know, snack book and we've also done recipe books and things like that. And then um, where I haven't yet got and where I want to go is kind of like what Shelly has done, uh, where again, you bring that authentic learning into it. So you've got that technology piece, but then you've got some of the maker side of things as well, where you are, you know, like maybe ordering, you know, food or ingredients to, to build these healthy snacks um, or, you know, to make that meal. And, and, you know, I don't always want to do it at home. So it's like, well, I also want to do it at school and kind of have that have that creation there. But, uh, you know, that it health does, it has to be that balance of, okay, we have technology and we've got these tools and it's also got to be the hands-on, right? Right, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it, it is a balance, um, but technology is not going away. So we have to give the students opportunities to use it as a way to, you know, develop you know, tr- nutritional literacy. Um, so um, I know that um, I'm careful with my pre-service students that they're not just using, say, Google Classroom for the students to research a topic because it needs, the technology needs to be used again and that's in a, where you have opportunities for social interaction. You know, that I think is, is just as important. So I love the idea of, you know, if you do a, a recipe makeover at home and you basically videotape it, video yourself, and that becomes part of this bigger um, video that we create about healthy recipes. But that does take a lot of time. And so that becomes, I think, a challenge for the health educator too, planning that. And then making sure you have that authentic assessment, you know. Right. All those pieces kind of getting tied together. So, um, you know, and we've we've kind of talked about. Right. <laughs> and I mean, it is. I mean, technology came on pretty fast and, you know, just kind of continuing to learn as we go and continue to get better. And you're right. Like there's got to have that deeper meaning and that deep under understanding. It's not just that recalling something on technology, but creating something new, making something relevant, um, you know, taking it to the next, uh, that higher level learning. So, um, but kind of just jumping into that next question too. We've, we've talked about this a couple of times, but just again, like sending that information home or having them, uh, make that recipe at home and, and, and things like that. And I know a few other things have been mentioned, but how are we encouraging those parents and guardians to participate in, in our nutrition education curriculum as well? So I think that um, you definitely need to get buy-in from your administration. And I'm very often that has to come from the health educator. You know, I know I keep saying the HPE teacher because in and the state of Rhode Island, very often our health educator is also our physical educator. Um, so you need to make sure that you get buy-in from your administrator, trying something new to reach out to the families. Um, open house to me is a great way. 
You know, everybody usually a lot of families will come will come to the school and they see the school. Most families see the school as a safe place, a place where they're going to, you know, a place that definitely cares about their about their children um, or the youth that are in their care. So I think that's a great way to make connections. I think in addition to that, creating assignments that do um, reach out to the parents and the guardians. So that means having having um, your students go home and ask one or two questions or create a recipe. Sometimes you might have to do it as extra credit, but you also have to be careful that if your student doesn't have somebody to go home to, can you create that right. same opportunity as part of an after-school program or after-school activity for those students who don't have access to maybe those adults in their home? And that's where you can look at the community agencies, the other after-school programs that maybe go on in your schools to see if maybe we can kind of do that same thing. Um, newsletters are great ways. Um, certainly any of the technology that's used to communicate with families, whether it's through a website um, or whether it's through, you know, uh, text messages that are sent, um, you know, ways to update parents and guardians about what we're doing. And then we also want to hear from you. I mean, I think it's great for parents and guardians to know that they can come into the classroom, um, which is another way to engage them. So most schools have ways of communicating with their families and their communities. And why not, um, you know, why not the health educator should also utilize those resources too. So things, information that's sent home, wouldn't it be great for the students to create a newsletter or create something to go home to the families too? Yeah, it definitely means a lot coming from the students and peer-to-peer -peer or, you know, child to parent. So that's great. You know, just where I'm at here, I'm seeing a lot of great wellness fairs that are happening too uh, at the elementary level. And I'm seeing that th those are making a big impact. And that, that's really cool to see because, um, you know, an, a school is its obviously its own community and the teachers within that school, the parents within that school, the children, they know each other really well and they can support each other through those local wellness fairs. And, and you know, there's so many community partners and we, we talked about that earlier. There's so many different individuals uh, within the communities that want to support, you know, schools in, in that manner. So I think that's, a, that's another really positive thing that I've been seeing. Right. Lately. And I think sometimes um, when parents and guardians don't don't appear to be invested, um, it might be easy to make the assumption that it's not a top priority from them for them, or maybe they don't see nutrition as something that is, um, is significant in the lives of their children or for themselves. And what we might not realize is for many of those families, they are being incredibly resourceful to, for doing the best that they can do. And sometimes resourceful is the dollar meal at McDonald's. Um, so if we look at it as everybody is working toward the good of all of our students, um, and then we just need to look at how we can access, how we can kind of assist with that process. So we can still use the dollar meals, but maybe we can access the dollar meals in a more healthful way. Great. All right. So uh, Shelly had to step out for a little bit, but she's back now. So just to, just to update you, Shelly, thanks, thanks for being a trooper here. Uh, we're just talking about, you know, how can we encourage parents and guardians to participate in, in uh, you know, nutrition education curriculum? Oh, okay. Well, I think, again, that there's many different opportunities. Like I said, I have a newsletter I send home. Um, we talk about conversations they can have. I make every assignment with um, the opportunity to have a conversation with your parents or parent or guardian or older sibling, whomever the case may be right. in their family. Um, there's always the extra opportunity if they um, have conversations at home. Um, and that's something that with, that's not just with nutrition, though. That's with everything, with human growth and development, with um, safety, all of the different aspects that we teach in health. Um, again, ho hoping to have that link on the home front, so making conversation and then giving those opportunities for courageous conversations later on when we start talking about other things that maybe aren't as comfortable as nutrition. Right, right. Shelly, how do you do that? Um, do you send uh, a worksheet home? Is it something that like it's emailed out to the parents? Um, is it just handed to the students and then it's up to them to take care of it? Or um, for me, I I'm try to be a hundred percent digital 
if, if possible. Um, all of our students, like I said, have one-on-one devices um, with parents that are at home that don't have internet access. We have been given a grant at our school that everyone has a hotspot. Every student has been given a hotspot at home if, they're, if they don't already have internet. Um, so I send an email uh, usually weekly with three questions on it. I also send a hard copy for those kids that said my parents want you know the hard copy. And I try to also provide that in a couple of different languages and for kids that have parents that don't speak English. And then they accumulate throughout the school school semester and at the end of the semester we add oh, okay out of the 15 um you know extra credit homework assignments for parents you return five of them or whatever the case may be so that they're always getting something um extra because they took the time and their parents also i at first had a little resistance um from parents some of the parents saying you know well i already passed high school and how come i have work um but i think you know when push came to shove now i'm getting a lot of positive feedback back exactly we're really thankful that we're having these conversations with our child um but again uh i try to do everything digitally i do have the paper copies for students um, if they want to take home the paper copies. And then I also do a newsletter every month, a digital newsletter, and so that they can respond back to that. And then, again, at the end of – on Fridays after school, there's a weekly – this is what – you know how Google sends home – I use Google Classroom. So it sends home kind of a summary of what has gone on throughout the week, and I always attach those extra questions on that as well. So yes. And that's a perfect – ways the kids can – Yeah, that's a perfect yeah, example a perfect of example creating of an authentic learning environment um, using technology and engaging parents. That's excellent, Shelley. Carol. She is pretty awesome. <laughs> like we said, both of our panelists, they're, it's, it's yes. a great conversation. So thank you. Good stuff. Yes, it is. It, you know, we've got, we're going to get ready to close it down uh, on this great conversation. We could probably talk for another hour easily on this. Um, but an important question um, is, you know, how can health and physical education teachers uh you know, help classroom teachers to incorporate nutrition topics uh, within their curriculum. So uh, this is Carol. So I think that they can always be advocates for their disciplines or disciplines. And as an advocate, that means that um, get themselves on the agenda for a faculty meeting. You know, asking the principal curriculum director if they can make a presentation, making yourselves accessible um, to the classroom teachers, also looking for opportunities to collaborate. Um, I used to teach with fifth graders a health triangle um, lesson that I taught with math and art, and we actually created a triangular pyramid. And so we, um, um, I collaborated with math and then also with art education, and it was a great learning experience um, for everyone involved. So I think looking for those opportunities for collaboration, letting your school know, your classroom teachers know that you're the expert in the building. You're the health and physical educator. That this is your discipline. You know, this is your forte. This is your wheelhouse. Um, and then, um, you know, looking for those opportunities for that collaborate. You know, for those collaborations, and then ad- continuing to always advocate. Um, yeah, I would agree, Carol. Absolutely. I think it's something that you know. I, uh, I guess it was about. T- Ten years ago, um, in the district I was working in, I made sure I went in and I offered my services to all my, all the classroom teachers. What can I do to come in to support you? But also, could you support my curriculum that I'm teaching in my classroom as well? And at that time, we did not have a health teacher in middle school. It was just the PE teacher had to do both. Um, And so, making sure that, like you said, we in the sciences we talked about nutrition exactly. so in social studies, we talk about multicultural dining, um, but again, at giving them the opportunity to support us, but on the other hand, too, saying, look, we're supporting your curriculum as well in my class by doing X, Y, and Z. Um, I think that 
my administration was very, very thankful about it. They gave me actually an opportunity for every staff meeting to give brain boosts oh, um, so that the other teachers were able to go back to their classroom to, to do brain boosts. Um, I had my students, like I said, doing PSAs about different topics where they were able to show back in their classrooms um, at the middle school level with brain boosts, with nutrition Anything and everything, you know, they were responsible for a PSA, but it was shown throughout the building at all grade levels. Right, that's wonderful. Um, and I get, like I said, I think it's, again, you're the expert in your field. You know, they're the experts in their fields. If we can come together, you know, the light bulb may go on in another classroom regarding right. our content, and it doesn't matter because it takes a village at the end of the day right. if we can get that curriculum across the board. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Well, you two really just blew my mind today. I mean, <laughs> just blown away every time we do this, right? It's 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 so cool. Uh, yeah, just thank you for sharing everything. And I guess, you know, my final thoughts on that last question too is, um, you know, we're finally part of the National Nutrition Program, uh, the, um, the food service program and everything. So uh, we finally have like a a full committee and a full team. So I'm excited to be a part of that. And I, I definitely think that's a piece that we were kind of missing too. So it'll be nice just to be on board with other classroom teachers and uh, other parents and administrators and stuff like that, just working together on those specific health documents and um, just getting a, a, a greater understanding of the school too. So I'm excited about that um, kind of coming up the rest of this year. And, um, but yeah, you two gave me so many great ideas. My pencil was was racing all over my paper today. So uh, thank you for all that. And lots of great gems and some great sound bites, but I'm asking for one more. So just, just kind of like quickly your final thoughts, uh, summarize it all um, in about 30 seconds. Like, uh, you know, what does everyone just need to know and remember um, as we're kind of going away from nutrition education uh, right now? I think my takeaway would be that um, health educators have the opportunity to um, um, allow our students to build what I call nutrition literacy or self-efficacy so that they then have the confidence um, to go forward and make good, sound decisions for themselves and to assist others in their lives. Boom. <laughs> Absolutely. I would agree. I think it's more important for us to teach them the skills for them to become, you know, 21st century learners, but more so right. having the knowledge, the confidence um, to go out there in the world and make those decisions, regardless if it's nutrition or human growth and whatever the case may right. be, developing those skills uh, within their own communities. If that's their school, that's their home, their surroundings, whatever you know we're looking at. But I think, again, having them educating them to make those decisions in a confident manner. Right. Cool. And I think, you know, if there's anything else to hit home too, is that authentic learning. I think that was said quite a few times as well. And I think that's just a big part of health class just in general. And, um, you know, but it is extremely important for, um, nutrition. So outstanding. If I could say one quick thing, I you think. You sure can. Okay, <laughs> sorry. Um, as an educator, I cannot stress enough for other educators to get out there. There's amazing people on social platforms that we can yes. learn from and we can become better teachers every each and every day, whether it be listening to a podcast, whether it be on Voxer or Twitter or whatever the case. There's amazing lessons out there. Um, and, you know, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. There's so many awesome teachers out there that you know we can beg borrow and steal and make it your own right make it i work agree in your communities i absolutely agree yep well you're exactly right and obviously <laughs> we we uh can't we couldn't agree more with that as far as you know having that that peer-to-peer -peer, uh growth that happens on social media and uh you know in all factors so uh thanks again so much for being a part of the the shape america podcast on, on nutrition i'm glad that we were able to be able to take a, a couple episodes here and really focus on nutrition and i know that there's a lot of health and physical education teachers out there that will be able to apply all this knowledge and it was a it was a jam-packed hour so <laughs> thanks a lot got it right it was an honor yes thank you very much i really appreciate the opportunity um to do this and also to get to meet all of you and i'll be in touch shelly you too
Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> sure was great. Thank you, everyone. Yep. All right. With that, we're going to sign off. Thanks, everyone, for joining us for the Shape America podcast.